So this is from Matthew chapter 27, beginning at verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they replied. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him! When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. When we come before your throne, Lord, when we come into your house, when we come and see a cross. We pray that you'll help us to pause, to look upon the cross, not to simply dismiss it as church furniture, but actually to remember that this was an implement of torture not just torture, but a torture that would inevitably end in the most painful of deaths. The most painful of deaths for the worst of sins. And so it's appropriate that when we look at that cross, we remember every sin was paid for. Those that had been committed and those that were yet to be committed. Lord, we give thanks that on this day you paid that price for us. Not because you had to, not because we forced you, not because we bribed you or blackmailed you, but simply because you love us. 
Father, thank you so much for the depth of your love, for the openness of your grace that is freely available to any who chooses to follow you. Lord, we give thanks that we can call out to you at any time. And so, Father, as a church now, we open this time for you to hear our prayers for each other and for you as we have some open prayer time together. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, starting at verse 21, we read Mark's account of the crucifixion. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way home from the country. And they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So... You, who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we might see him and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults upon him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, morning. Uh, so we had the Passion of Palm Sunday, and last night we talked about the Passion of Gethsemane. In fact, the anguish of Gethsemane, uh, that Jesus' soul was overwhelmed, even to the point of death, close to death. Um, we often overlook that, don't we? That when uh, he's so overwhelmed, he was right almost close to death. He was on the edge because the enormity, I would imagine, of what he was about to go through was hidden in. And we shared about you know, my sin. I didn't share my sin, but I'm, I'm as sinful as the next man. 
but you know my sin he takes my sin and goes to the cross and he deals with it and then he and he takes your sin all the things that we do wrong he takes it on the cross and he deals with it but it's not only us he took it for the whole world so if I think about how much when I think of things I do wrong uh, not to be condemned because uh, the Bible says he didn't come to condemn the world he came to save it his mission was to seek and save the lost but when I'm aware of my own failings it weighs heavy until I come for forgiveness and I'm released if it weighs heavy on me with just mine how much heavier on him going to the cross with the whole world's it must have been incredible so we looked at the passion in Gethsemane and today we're looking at the passion of the cross and on Sunday obviously the passion and the reality of the resurrection we've had that passage read to us by Tom from uh, Mark's gospel Mark's account of what happened uh, Mark 15 21 to 40 and it was read earlier and we've got the passion that was involved uh, on the cross the passion and we hear this in the film titles of Christ the passion of Christ for you and for me the reality is that I and you I owed a debt that I could not pay and Christ pays a debt that he did not owe and he did that for me and for you and he's wrestled in Gethsemane with the reality of that take this cup away from me but not my will but yours And then he has the journey to the cross and he's been tried and he's been beaten and he's been spat on. He's in pain. He's in anguish. Many people after the flogging died. You know, Jesus was forced to carry his own cross. And it's horrific, really, that the, the back, it would be laid bare inside. It was horrific. And why did he do it? Because he had a passion, I want to talk about two passions here, a passion to save us. A passion to save you. His mission, Luke 19 verse 10, tells us, for the Son of Man comes to seek and save the lost. And it was costly. For us it's free, but it cost God everything. He has this passion to save us, to seek and save the lost. So the insult that Tom read out from verse 29, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. His passion for you meant he couldn't come down from the cross and save himself. He was too busy saving you. He didn't take his eye off the ball. He didn't take his eye off the big picture, which his mission was to seek, to find and save the lost. If he had come down, then that wouldn't have happened. That transaction couldn't have happened. The sin of the world couldn't have gone on him. It couldn't have been crucified with him. And then when he rose again on Easter Sunday, nothing would have really mattered because the sin hadn't been dealt with. So he couldn't come down and save himself like they were mocking him as if they knew better. They didn't. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was saving the world. Too busy saving us. And why do we need saving? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, everybody, and fall short of the glory of God. And God presents him as a sacrifice. Someone has to pay, he chooses to. And, And I can choose him to pay for my wrongdoings, and so can you. Or you can choose not to. Romans 5.12, a sin came in one man, 5.18 says Jesus is the justification for all. It's only in him. You see, he knew his mission. Uh, He didn't take his eye off the ball. He didn't come down from the cross. He knew the big picture. And that's something we need to learn, isn't it? That we have a great mission to seek and save the lost. We have a mission, God's mission, the Missio Dei. 
Jesus uh, said, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. The church scattered out there telling the world the good news, which we'll talk about on Easter Sunday. But sometimes we can take our eye off the big picture. We get so caught up in doing church, uh, we can sometimes forget being church. And we can be be the, the Martha and not the Mary. And sometimes we have to sit at his feet and remember what he did for us and be church. And as much as sometimes little things get to us, there's a big picture. And we cannot be deterred from the mission of God, which he gives right at the end of uh, Matthew's Gospel, the Great Commission. We've got in all the Gospels to seek and save the lost. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. should always be in the back of our minds. So he has this passion to save us. And not only to save us, uh, but to save the world. And so far, we're about a third of the way through. A third of this world will call themselves Christians. So he's got passion to save us. Uh, secondly, he's got passion to reconcile us. Colossians 1.19 For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. We make no apology as Christians when we say Jesus is the only way. It's the only name by which people can be saved. And that offends other religions, but we need to realise we're here to please God and not other people. And it is offensive to say that he's the only way, but it's the truth. Everything else is a distraction. All the other follies and foibles of the world are a distraction to bring us away from the cross, to be able to say, well, okay, I'm a good person, Maybe I don't need to think about that. I've taken many funerals and been to many funerals and we hear good things about good people. He was great, he did this, he did that, he did the charity work. It's all good things, but none of them reconcile us to Christ. That's an outworking of who we are. Lots of people who don't know Christ do good things. To be a Christian is to trust in the cross and accept it and receive the forgiveness it can only be happened through one man because he didn't get down from that cross on that day. We were dead in our sin, now we are alive. Colossians 2, 13 to 15 says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, when we're in the mess of it all and no one's paid for it, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, and he nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. They were mocking him. But he was, he was triumphant. He knew what was going on. All because of the cross. And then finally, Mark fifteen thirty seven. Jesus breathes his last, and he dies. And the curtain of the temple is torn in two. They didn't realise when earlier they were mocking him about rebuilding the temple. When that curtain was torn in two, that's now access. That represented access to the Father heart of God because of what he's done. It wasn't an earthly temple that he was talking about. And this was an event in history. This happened. And when it happened, the centurion makes his confession. Surely this man is the son of God. He gets it right at that moment because it was an event in history and it led to a confession. And when we talk to people about this event in history, which we do in many different ways, through preaching, through Alpha, through all sorts of things, personal conversations, finally, a light goes on. Literally, God God is the only one who can open those eyes. And it leads to a confession. So he is the Christ, the Christos, the anointed one, the one they were always talking about. And he died for me. 
He had to die for me because all of us fall short of the glory of God. So therefore someone has to pay. And either I'm going to pay or he is. I choose him. So what about us? Jesus says that if anyone should follow him, he should deny himself and pick up his cross. Maybe this morning we get a new perspective exactly what that means when we realise the sacrifice that he'd made. I have to start ask myself, you know, when I look at the passion of Palm Sunday, the anguish and passion of Gethsemane, the passion to go to the cross on Good Friday, where's my passion? Where's my willingness to suffer for the gospel? You know, maybe a bit of ridicule, but I'm not going to go through the pain of what Christ did. Where's yours? Where's our mission to seek and save the lost? We need to constantly remind ourselves of what the big picture is and not get distracted, even though people will mock us and tell us to come down, not do it anymore. Jesus, the name literally means one who saves or the Lord saves. Only the Son of God can do that. God himself God himself making things right. Jesus, the one who said, I am the truth. He's truth revealed to us. And we, we, he, the, the scriptures bear witness to him. The evidence is overwhelming. He brings forgiveness, the reconciliation, power and love. And it all comes by faith in Jesus, given by the grace of God. So we have the passion of Easter. That needs to be equaled by the church, for the church to have passion for Jesus' mission. But of course on that day, Christ is despised. He's mocked and he's tortured. He's despised. We've got depressed disciples. Even though he warned them of everything that's going to happen, they go away depressed, desolate, and there's despair. You know, and a lot of the world is stuck with Good Friday. They don't even know what it means, half of them but they're stuck sometimes in desolation, despair. Is this really it? Is there more to life than this? They've not moved on from the Good Friday people. But let us not be a people who, first of all, we get stuck in Good Friday. Second of all, not to tell people that they don't have to be stuck with Good Friday. There is an Easter Sunday. There is good news. Not to be a people... And unfortunately, this is much of the world. For as much of the world, a third are Christians. That means two-thirds are not. But when John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, and he hangs on a cross, and, he, and he's effectively saying, I did this for you, two-thirds of the world say, yeah, great, thanks, I'm good. They're not good. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Wellington represented the last really great, formidable opposition to the French army under the command of Napoleon. And everything came to a head on the battlefield of Waterloo. To communicate the outcome of the battle to English towns from Belgium, across the English Channel, a system of flashing lights was devised. They were to be emitted from one church top to another. When the battle ended, England had proved victorious and the message was sent, Wellington defeated Napoleon. As the message was received and sent by each church towards the island of Great Britain, the fog began to rise. By the time the message reached the island, the fog cut the message short as the British churches received the message, Wellington defeated. For hours, the nation feared the eventual overthrow of their country until the fog lifted and they had the complete message. Wellington defeated Napoleon. Napoleon. 
On Good Friday, it looks as if the message was Jesus defeated. And we need to remember that it's not the complete message. When the fog lifts on Sunday, the rest of the message was revealed. Jesus defeats death. Don't believe in the incomplete message. Don't stay in Good Friday. Let's look forward with confidence to Easter Sunday. And if you don't know about that, if you're stuck in Good Friday, where you're aware of you're not a perfect person, but you're not quite sure God loves you, or God would do that for you, then come and speak to us. Or go to our Alpha course, which starts next Wednesday and Thursday. Um, come along and find out for yourself. Don't be one of those people that Jesus has hung on a cross for, gone through all that humiliation. And he says, I've done this to save you because I love you. And look back and say, I'm good, thanks. Don't be one of them because you're not good and there's an eternal consequence. Let's be an Easter Sunday people that recognise the resurrection and new life, life in all its fullness and an eternity guaranteed. And that when it comes uh, to the end of this earthly life, it might be a funeral and you may have done lots of good things, but I can tell you the Christian funeral is a good one because we know it's not the end. Uh, it's really just the beginning. I'd want you to be sure of that. Let's pray and then I'll hand over to Tom. Thank you, Lord, for the Good Friday message and we thank you so much it doesn't end there because it was desolate and depressing, full of despair, no hope, despondent followers of you. But such a dramatic event in history that the centurion says, surely this man was the son of God. So we look forward to Easter Sunday and we thank you, Lord, for the resurrection, the evidence for it, that this is not the end, that you defeated death, you've paid the penalty of sin and our eternity can be secure. And help us to be sent out as Easter people proclaiming your whole message, whether it's when we're singing triumphantly on Palm Sunday, when we share in despair on Gethsemane, when we think there's no hope on Good Friday, if we're down the high street tomorrow at the pick and mix, uh, sharing your good news, and Sunday at the Easter service and then the baptism in the evening. Help us be your Easter people, full of hope and full of love. In Jesus' name, amen.